Expert Insights is an ongoing medical education podcast. The Carl Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please click on the link and complete the episode's post-test. This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. It's been studied that the cumulative effects of sleep loss and sleep disorders represent an under-recognized public health problem and have been associated with a wide range of negative health consequences. My guest today is Dr. Charles Davies. He's a sleep medicine specialist and the program lead in sleep medicine at Carl Foundation Hospital. Dr. Davies, let's start with sleep disorders. Who notices them? A loved one? Are there symptoms you would notice in yourself? Speak about some of the comorbidities that go along with a lack of sleep. Yes, Melanie. Well, uh, certainly, as you suggest, it is often a loved one uh, who is noticing symptoms to begin with, for example, snoring, or even if the person stops breathing or has pauses in their breathing or snorts uh, with those pauses during sleep, and then uh, the person themselves may experience daytime sleepiness, may have difficulty with concentration and attention. They may have increased headaches, especially in the morning. And uh, we know that these kinds of uh, symptoms are uh, signs that the person may have obstructive sleep apnea. And so it is very important to have that evaluated. Uh, Certainly, untreated obstructive sleep apnea, which you mentioned as well at the outset, it's actually estimated that there may be about 23 million people in the country who have undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea, and the risks are numerous. We know that there's a three-fold increased risk of hypertension for obstructive sleep apnea if it's moderate or severe. We know that there are three times as many fatal heart attacks and strokes associated with untreated obstructive sleep apnea. Certainly because of the excessive daytime sleepiness, there is an increased risk of motor vehicle accidents. Wow. So as we talk about, and and we will get into sleep apnea, but there are also other disorders. So if somebody comes to you and they're discussing their symptoms that you've that you've mentioned, daytime sleepiness. How is the assessment and evaluation done? Speak about some of the clinical practice guidelines for recognizing sleep disorders. Certainly. Well, when a patient uh, comes to my office, and it's always uh, nice to have the uh, the loved one as well to provide further history, I will certainly ask about snoring, if it's every night, how loud it is, and the apneas again. I'll also ask if the person uh, is waking up short of breath, gasping or choking, or even if they are feeling very sweaty overnight, that's another sign of obstructive sleep apnea because when your airway blocks off, you're basically fighting to breathe, and that is a danger signal. It's kind of like the fight-or-flight response. So your blood pressure is going to spike up, you may sweat, um, and your uh, heart rate may increase as well. And so then so we uh, obtain some of that um, history, and then I will go ahead and do a physical exam, which will include uh, height, weight, so 
We can then calculate the body mass index. We certainly know that there is a strong association between elevated body mass index and obstructive sleep apnea. I will also measure the neck circumference, larger neck circumference, again associated with obstructive sleep apnea. I will look in the airway to see whether the airway is crowded or narrow. It turns out that people can have obstructive sleep apnea without an elevated body mass index, and that's often because they have a narrow airway, and that could be inherited. We know that obstructive sleep apnea can run in families. How are they categorized, the various sleep disorders? Because there's apnea, people have heard about insomnia, there's circadian rhythm disorders. How, how do you classify these once you've sort of determined what's going on? Certainly. Well, uh, we would also uh, get a very detailed history of the person's uh, sleep routine, what time they usually go to bed, how long it roughly takes them to fall asleep, whether they awaken overnight, what causes them to awaken, whether it's, for example, they were short of breath or if they had to get up to go to the bathroom many times a night and sleep quickly, or does it take them quite a while? Are they, if they are awake for a while, are they having difficulties with uh, not being able to shut their mind off? And then what kinds of things they do when they can't sleep? And then certainly what time they get up uh, for the day. So by getting that very detailed indication of their sleep routine, we can then decide if the person has, for example, insomnia, meaning it's taking them more than half an hour to fall asleep most nights, and if they're awake for more than half an hour overnight, uh, we can also uh, check on whether they are having any other kinds of symptoms which might prevent them from sleeping. For example, restless legs syndrome, uh, which is a condition uh, involving uncomfortable urges to move the legs at night while they're awake. And so that may keep people awake. So we could either be uh, looking at somebody with obstructive sleep apnea or sleep disruptions and poor sleep due to insomnia or sleep disturbance related to restless legs syndrome. As you mentioned, some of these sleep hygiene things uh, as far as falling asleep or white light or various distractions that people go through, what do you want other physicians to discuss with their patients about the things that they need to do or try first before they would start on any sort of treatments? That is a very important topic. And yes, the first uh, line uh, strat strategy or treatment is to optimize the person's sleep hygiene. So for example, uh, we always uh, instruct people to get up out of bed if they have difficulty falling asleep. We try to have them not looking at the clock in bed. Just use their internal clock. If they've rolled over more than a couple, three times, if they're having a lot of thoughts that they can't get out of their mind that are keeping them awake, then they should definitely get up out of bed and engage in some kind of relaxing activity. Uh, for example, uh, listening to quiet music uh, or uh, reading a, an actual uh, book, not using a device, because any kind of lighted device activates a circuit that goes from the retina to the master clock in the brain, and that light will then reset the clock and keep the person awake. So we try to have people avoid 
uh, using uh, any kind of lighted device, uh, phone, computer, uh, iPod, TV, and certainly just uh, engage in some relaxing activities out of the bed until they feel tired, then go back to bed. If they're having difficulty uh, getting things out of their mind, then sometimes uh, writing down a to-do list before bed could help uh, clear their mind. Uh, also, journaling, um, that type of thing can also help as well. And then, so that would be a good first-line treatment for physicians to discuss with their patients when it comes to the treatments, whether it's CPAP or medicational intervention what do you want other physicians to know about choosing those and adherence for their patients, discussing adherence and compliance? So in the case of obstructive sleep apnea, CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure, is still the best recognized treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. And we always stress that it is very important to use the CPAP machine essentially whenever they are sleeping, as that will eliminate those risks. We know that when somebody is using the CPAP whenever they sleep, they are basically eliminating the additional risk from the obstructive sleep apnea for things like high blood pressure, heart attacks, and strokes. And so that is extremely important. In the uh, case of insomnia, first, of course, the sleep hygiene, as I mentioned, if that's not helping, then the first, the next thing would be to uh, refer a person for cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia with a sleep psychologist. And that actually has been shown to be more effective and longer lasting than sleeping pills, for example, or any kinds of sleeping aids that would be taken. And then in the case of restless leg syndrome, actually we first take a look at iron levels, and that includes checking ferritin and iron studies. Even if those iron stores, which are blood tests, are low normal, that can then uh, be associated with restless leg syndrome. So, for example, if the ferritin is below 75 nanograms per ml or the iron transfer and saturation is below 20%, we would recommend supplemental iron as a first-line therapy, then, of course, checking the iron levels every three months while the person is taking the uh, supplemental iron. Such good advice, Dr. Davies, and for other providers, wrap it up. What you'd like them to know about recognizing sleep disorders and the importance of recognizing these disorders so that they can get going on treatment because of all those comorbidities that can go along with sleep disorders. Thank you. The important thing first is to ask the questions. First, make sure to ask people if they are having any of those kinds of symptoms, such as snoring, waking up short of breath, uh, having unrefreshing sleep, being sleepy during the daytime, and again, of course, um, the, having the loved one there is, is an additional bonus. So that, that is extremely important to simply ask the questions uh, first and then uh, proceed accordingly. And if there are uh, signs or symptoms suggesting increased risk of obstructive sleep apnea, certainly it would be appropriate to refer the person to the sleep clinic for evaluation, uh, at which time then a uh, diagnostic study can be uh, ordered. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies, for coming on and sharing your expertise today on sleep disorders and for other physicians what you wanted them to know about the importance of recognizing sleep disorders in their patients. 
You're listening to Expert Insights with Carl Foundation Hospital. For a listing of Carl providers and to view Carl-sponsored educational activities, please visit carlconnect.com. That's carlconnect.com. We hope the information gained will be applicable to your work and life. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks for listening.